Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm joined today by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. And by Tyrone Marshall. Good afternoon, Rich. And on today's podcast, we'll look back to the weekend that's just been. We'll talk about new arrivals coming soon to Old Trafford. And we'll look ahead, of course, to the start of the pre-season fixtures and the new season. But just before we do get started on today's podcast, it brings us nicely to a annual that we're pushing. And we want you all to get involved with this as well, uh, to look forward to the new 2021-22 season. Our United writers at the Manchester Evening News have teamed up to produce a comprehensive guide to the new campaign. We'll be bringing you all the insight to offer unique personal perspectives on what United fans can look forward to over the next nine months. It's one of 41 special edition club annuals being produced by Reach PLC to mark the return of fans to stadiums across the Premier League, Championship, League One and the Scottish Premiership. Fans can order these one-off titles in print to arrive at their doorsteps before the campaign kicks off with all the details on the new season, new signings and how their club has been preparing to go after glory again. Every annual includes a full club-by-club breakdown of the competition, key stats and the latest information around the grounds as football puts supporters back at the heart of the action. To get your hands on a copy of our superb guide couldn't be easier. Simply complete your details in the form on our website and it'll be in the uh, the description of the podcast as well. And by signing up to our free daily Man United newsletter and confirming that you want a copy of the guide sent to your home, with only £1.25 to cover postage and packaging. So yeah, like we said, there'll be a link in the podcast description if you want to get one of those annuals, £1.25 to get it posted to you. <sighs> I can breathe now. That's that out of the way. Ahead, We now do look ahead to the new season, but I guess there is only one place to start. No, it isn't coming home, but James Sancho is coming back to Manchester. Samuel Luckhurst, he's, he's passed his medical. The announcement is imminent. By the time you've heard this, he might well be wearing the new club colours and who knows, he could be playing a piano in the middle of the pitch for a week now. But Jaden Sancho to Man United is going to happen. It's just a matter of when rather than if. It is, yeah. We, and I don't think anyone's more delighted than us reporters who don't have to report on the tedium of is he going to sign, when is it going to be announced. Uh, I, I hope there's not a, a piano and, and Jaden Sancho sat there tickling the ivories or anything like that. I think United have fortunately decided to distance themselves from the disaster of the Alexis Sanchez deal. But it allows them to move on to to other matters at hand. Rafael Varane, will it be a midfielder after him? Will it be a fullback after him? I still think they'll make three significant signings. I'm not counting Tom Heaton uh, in that list. No, no disrespect to Tom Heaton, but I think that's that goes without saying. But it's it, you know it's it's, it come, it's the end of the road, fortunately, and we can you know we'll have all the details coming out soon about squad number. I, I suspect the inevitable debut date will be the Everton game on on August the seventh, given that Sancho's going to have three weeks off now, uh, like the other international players, Maguire, uh, Luke Shaw, obviously Marcus Rashford, it's going to be a bit longer with surgery uh, on his shoulder that's expected to take place and really is essential um, after the way he's played this this year and the wear and tear he's, he's you know, he, he took going into the Euros. In hindsight, he probably should have withdrawn from the England squad, but that was always going to be a a difficult decision for, for him to make if he had been of that mindset. So, um, you know, it's, I think I think the transfer window closes in just under seven weeks' time now. So it's 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 going to become a lot more 
eventful. It's been very quiet so far, but I think we're all expecting it to be quiet with two major tournaments going on. Yeah, of course, Tart's always been the sort of mitigation, hasn't it, in the in these opening weeks of it. And of course, with, with I mean, United's targets have all been involved in the European Championship, really. The ones that we know of, of course, there's going to be wild card ones that maybe emerge. And there's always the, the chance that Solskjaer catches off guard with, with someone he does make an approach for. But, you know, Sancho through the door, it's got the foundations of a very, very good summer. But, you know, it doesn't mean much at this moment in time. I guess the judgment will come in, in seven weeks. But are you confident that United will be able to strengthen as much as they need to? Yeah, I mean, the, it, it certainly seems very positive at the moment. Getting a, a quick deal done for Sancho, I think, is is hugely positive. We saw how that dragged on last summer and was never really in place to happen last summer. So we've got it done so early to the point where, you know, it, he won't be at United for this. Well, obviously, he wasn't at United for the start of pre-season training. He will have three weeks off now. But to, to make sure he doesn't have to go back to Germany, there's no dragging it out to the end of August, I think, is, is positive for United. They've done a deal swiftly and it's a huge boost to get him through the door. It's the biggest deal of the window so far, I think, by some distance. I think the only other major deal is, is probably the centre-half that's, that's gone to Liverpool and that was a release clause and a, and a simple one to do. So it's certainly a, a show of intent from United. They're obviously working hard on, on Varane. And I think if... You know, if they get Sancho and Varane over the line relatively relatively swiftly, I think it's a, it's a hugely impressive start to the window and could give them time to to work on more going into August, really. So I think it's you know it's a very promising start. Obviously, more needs to be done. If it ends up with just Sancho, it, it, we're going to look back and it, it's going to be disappointing, but that doesn't appear to be the case. So I think at the moment, it, it's shaping up to be an encouraging window, and it had to be, really. I think we all said at the end of the season, it was probably the biggest transfer window of, of Solskjaer's reign. United have finished second next year. I think it's going to be a, a hugely competitive Premier League, and United simply had to strengthen in, in key areas if they were going to challenge. And the fact they are committing to, to these signings and really working hard to get these deals over the line and get them done swiftly suggests that they want to give Solskjaer the tools to make sure that there's, there's no excuses next season. Yeah, of course. And I know we often sort of joke saying that video games make it seem very easy to get transfers done, but Sancho and Varane is sort of something that would come off your FIFA career mode. Obviously, it's got to take a bit bit longer than just pressing skip onto the next day as you would do on, on FIFA or whatever. But it is encouraging. Samuel, I mean, the elephant in the room is the conclusion of the European Championship at the weekend. All four United players, if you include Sancho, did make it onto the pitch. Three of them took penalties. Two of them missed them. Uh, what type of effect do you think that will have on on United uh, heading into the new season? The fact that, you know, it's only two months ago they lost on penalties to, to Villarreal in the Europa League. And now, you know, four, four of those players have also tasted defeat in a major tournament. Fred, of course, as well, lost in the Copa America final to Argentina early on Sunday. Do you think that's going to have an effect on, on United ahead of the new season? It's it's completely possible. I mean, it's it's not been a good time for people who revile players taking their silver medals off, given the amount of times United players have been doing that. But with with Rashford, the right decision has, has been made in that he's going to miss the start of the season to address that wear and tear that he's been carrying for what's felt like probably upwards of a year. I know that he had his back injury addressed, was it April last year during the first lockdown? But He's he's clearly you know picked up other injuries along the way and it, it clearly affected his form. I don't think it completely accounted for his form. Some of his finishing, some of the runs he made, the air of entitlement um, that he's always had really since his first season on a football pitch. I think that stems from the stratospheric start he had to his United career. I don't think it's that's in any way connected to the the overwhelmingly positive 
publicity he's had over the last year and he, he has certainly earned that what he's done and the amount of help he's given uh, children and families across the country but he frankly has been inessential at United this year he, he was always going to start in the Europa League final but I think in our panel the day before it or on the day of the game I don't think any of us had Rashford starting well, the majority of us didn't have Rashford starting. And I think, if anything, him being injured, it's a blessing in disguise for United. I don't really envisage us being at a game and if United have had a negative result coming away from it, saying they missed Rashford today. I think it's been too long since he had a purple patch of form where you could you could pine for Rashford in, in that situation. And for all the talk of the Sancho-Rashford link-up at United, the... the best forward at United this calendar year is an England international but it's neither of those two it's been Greenwood and Greenwood's going to have a full pre-season having started training last week and he deserves to be starting that team at the moment which of course throws up the possibility of Sancho starting his United career on the left having been earmarked as, as the right wing priority but I think that would make complete sense given that Sancho and Greenwood are the two natural forward to, to flank Cavani at the start of the season, provided both are fit and available. We, we still see Marshall trending around United attackers' stories as if he's been on fire the last year rather than the complete opposite. I think Marshall has got a hell of a lot of work to do to, to salvage his United career, given, um, given how the last year has gone for him and unfortunately he's just too flaky a footballer he's too mercurial and he's turning 26 this year I think there are some people that still make out he's a 19 year old or a 20 year old when we've been banging on about his potential and his ceiling it seems like for the last four or five years and with Sancho yeah he had a disappointing tournament he did pretty well when he came when he started against Ukraine but he didn't play anywhere near as much as he'd have liked the penalty was weak against Donnarumma I think even David De Gea might have had a chance of, of saving that penalty if he was in goal and you just hope that because he's not played so much from the United perspective that he's able to hit the ground running when he does start I think looking at the time frame for his for his arrival time it will probably be a case of a few days training possible debut against Everton on August 7th and he's got a four weeks worth of training before the Leeds game at, at Saturday lunchtime on the 14th of August so although he's not going to have a proper pre-season and he's never played in the Premier League before I I don't think it's any in any way. It's nowhere near as dire a situation to the one United were in going into the 2018-19 season, where a lot of players were rushed back from the World Cup, and it did feel very ramshackle because the window was closing early. The manager hated hated his paymasters. His pay, the paymasters probably hated the manager. The manager hated some players. The, a lot of the players hated the manager as well. Um, you've not got that climate this time, and. It seems a pretty calm pre-season schedule for them to get through. Uh, you know, it's about as taxing as it gets. It's going to be going to, to Loftus Road next week. Most of the friendlies are, are pretty local as well. So you know, th- I think despite the disappointment that they've had in these in, in recent months at club and international level, there are positives as well because Maguire and Shaw were... I know Shaw wasn't in the team of the tournament, but he was the best left-back at the Euros. Spinozola was was brilliant until he got injured, but Shaw, for what he did, contributed overall, was the best left-back at the tournament. Maguire now is a world-class centre-back. I think we all have to say that. I, I, I've had doubts whether he'd ever attain that status, but he was superb for England. He barely put a foot wrong. And when you do that at that level, you have to... I, th- I think that 
that is worthy of elevating a player's status. So it, it's been a pretty positive summer, despite the disappointing conclusions. I think there have been a lot of positives from United to extract, not just from the Euros, but obviously the Copa America as well, where, where Fred was pretty instrumental for Brazil up until the final when I mean, I, I fell asleep before the second half started. I know you you managed to watch it all, Rich, but it seemed like he was compromised by by the early booking that he got. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, like I said, it did limit him early on. And but like you said, in terms of positives, you also got to look at the fact that if it maybe wasn't for Solskjaer's influence, Fred and Shaw wouldn't have had their call ups this summer. I mean, Fred was out of the yes. Brazil team, didn't play at the World Cup to, uh, three years ago. Shaw was, you know, he still played so little games for England. It's remarkable to think how long he's been on the scene and how, you know. Of of course, he did score his first England goal, which is great for him, but he might have had one earlier because I know he doesn't get forward as much as people like. He's working on that. He's getting much better at that. But yeah, I think Solskjaer deserves credit. And I think that the sort of narrative is changing that around Shaw, it's not him responding to Jose Mourinho, it's him responding to Southgate and Solskjaer's love as well as much of them. And I guess they're the managers who are who getting the, the credit they deserve for, for their man management ability. Uh, Ty, it's a, it's a narrative and something that we don't want to, have to talk about but you've got to it's an unacceptable truth at the moment really that matters away from football once again have been making the headlines in the wake of England's defeats on on penalties and particularly close to home with us with with the abuse of, of Marcus Rashford and his mural which was you know graffitied with horrible racist slurs in Wivington but you know he might not have been a winner on Sunday but the, the response from from the from the public has been very much that he is an, a national hero still. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I mean the abuse all three players got was as predictable as it was lamentable. Really, we've 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 become accustomed to it now over the last 12, 18 months, and it is just you know it, it's consistently appalling. But it just I don't say it's hard to know what to do about it, but it, it is you know things need to change, and the players are going the right way about it by continuing to take the knee, continuing to raise awareness of it. But it, it it's becoming just far far too predictable that you know it's going to happen and. You know, it, it's appalling enough that you see it on social media. And I know Southgate said on Monday that a lot of the, the tech bods had said a lot of it on social media, but not all of it. A lot of it came from abroad. But, you know, when you see it on your own doorstep on, on Rashford's moral in Withington, I mean, that's just absolutely despicable, really. And it, it, it's been heartwarming to see the response there and, and the way that moral has been covered in, in positive messages. I think that that undoubtedly shows the best of, of Manchester and, and what this city is. Is really all about, and you know, at the end of the day, Rashford won't be defined by one penalty. I don't, I don't think Rashford will be defined by anything he does in football. To be honest, I think what he's done away from the game over the last eighteen months is far more important than anything he'll do in football. He could have scored the winning penalty for England on on Sunday, and it still wouldn't have had the impact on on people's lives that that what he's done over the last eighteen months has. So you know, it it, it was just sadly predictable, and, and it's just becoming far too common, really. And, and things have to change because it is it is appalling. But to focus on a positive, the response in in Withington and, and the pictures and videos we see from that moral are incredibly heartwarming and undoubtedly represent the the best of, of what Manchester is about and, and the face that Manchester wants to present to the world. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, I think especially you know we we've seen already this this calendar year how much you know fan power can make a difference. We saw that with the European Super League being heavily criticised and you know coming to nothing. And surely with that power and that goodwill and everyone pushing in the right direction, change can happen. But it needs to come from the top. It needs to come from the authorities. It needs to come from these social media platforms. Who you know, if like I know it's the sort of cliche tweet you see at the moment, but if you put highlights of a goal up, you, your account will get banned instantly if you put racist abuse so often it doesn't even get taken down and when it does it's it's so late and it counts for very little in terms of 
you know the actions that the social media companies can take but you know i guess like we always say hopefully there can be change at the end of this and at the end there can be light at the end of the tunnel where we're going to have better equality and better representation from those social media platforms and racist abuse can become intolerable and they can make it harder punishments harder sanctions lifetime bans whatever it is but something has to change and hopefully we're getting closer to that day but sadly it's it's still not upon us but we have to continue with with the football now and looking ahead to you know, the weekend, United will play the first preseason fixture. I know you touched upon it earlier on, Samuel, as well. Jane Sancho, imminent. Uh, what's the news on the other transfer arrivals we can maybe expect or any movement you're, you're sort of expecting in the next few weeks? Varane is the obvious one, the, the one that they're working on at the moment. I mean, I was told by people who are involved in it that they'd be stunned if, if Varane doesn't end up at United. I don't think the transfer fee is going to be an issue. The, the specific transfer fee still hasn't been disclosed. Um, that might be a little bit close to the time, but effectively, the way it's been described is that they'll be they'll be getting him at a good price. It will be nowhere near the 80 million that Madrid were idealistically not holding out for, but valuing him at. That was just pure posturing. Nobody is going to. There are going to be very few players that go for that amount of money this summer. You've seen with Dortmund, they've they've not exactly been blown out the water there. Um, for for Sancho uh, that they're getting that money in in five different installments because they need the money. Uh, they've they've got the highest average attendance in Europe and have done for the last ten years or so, and they've lost a hell of a lot of revenue because of the pandemic. So they're always going to have to sell one big player this summer, and that was always likely to be Sancho. Uh, as far as Rand's concerned, I think the issue, minor issue, if it is even indeed an issue is the intermediary fee that United have, have offered is, is believed to be too low um, and not a reflection of the overall deal that they're due to be getting Varane for. Personal terms should be sorted, might be sorted by by now, actually, in fact. It, these, these things take time. I, I, again, as, as you touched upon it earlier, I think a lot of fans think that negotiations can be done as quickly as the simulation method on on FIFA, where it's you know it's a five-minute conversation sometimes, but it, it really doesn't work out that way. And you know, I, I think the the interesting thing, just looking at the Q and A that I've had to do the last couple of weeks, I think the questions popped up both times. It's it's always linking Varane to Ramos. This is another Ramos from 2015 because Rio Ferdinand put a tweet out peddling that. As I said, I think I said before, there's a reason why journalists, media personnel should probably be doing more punditry because they are informed. We're that's our job. We have to report. We have to be informed. We're told to articulate that. A lot of former players are out of the loop. And and Ferdinand in that case was out of the loop. But apparently on his video he, he said nothing about it. It was it was almost as if Rio Ferdinand was clickbaiting <laughs> Uh, his his followers on Twitter with some absolute nonsense about Raphael Varane. And, and the irony is, Fernand has a role at the New Era agency where he mentors um, players. And so it was it was a bit peculiar for him to, to put that line out. But someone of his presence and with his following, when they put something out like that, people immediately believe it. Um, but it was interesting to see others follow on from the story we did in the week talking about PSG being brought into it. That's the first I've heard of that. If he goes to PSG, fair enough to, to Sky for putting PSG's name out there in the first place. But I think it's very unlikely that PSG will be signing two Real Madrid centre-backs in the same summer. And again, I think Sky are the ones who weave the, the Ramos, United being wary of Ramos, 
stuff into it, which again is completely irrelevant. It's it's just not remotely a Ramos style scenario. Um, Varane's preference is to not have to go back to Real Madrid for any pre-season training. It would be a case of finish holiday, go to Manchester and then start that process of signing for the club and then relocating to Manchester. So if United drop the ball on this one, it's pretty much on them. I can't really see any other any other person or or, or entity to scapegoat if, if Iran doesn't end up at United. That that is a deal that, that should happen. And then after that they'll have a month to make that that final significant signing, whether it's Kieran Trippier or a midfielder, that remains to be seen. I, I'd I'd be surprised if they do sign an established fullback and an established um midfielder. So uh but look Sancho and Varane is is pretty good going in itself and I think for the overall fee for those two it's it's probably gonna be well, you know, it's it's gonna be between I'm trying to think now. I mean Sancho's gone for seventy three million, you're probably looking at it's it's gonna be well under hundred and fifty million pounds. So they'll have they'll have the money there to, to make another significant signing depending on that player's contract situation and, and obviously with Trippier he's got a year left on his under a year left on his Atletico deal and I know there's been chatter about Atletico holding out for 50 million euros, but they're they're not going to get anywhere near that either. They they do well to get half of that fee. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, it's gonna gonna have to be hardball, but like I say, get those first two additions in. You know, two players who, who are world class or at least bordering world class. You know, that's really adding to it to a squad which needed strengthening. And this summer, it's not about bolstering the squad depth like it was a year ago. It's about cherry picking some real world class proven talent to to make that team into genuine Premier League title challenges. Ty, I think I ask you this question every week, but hypothetically, Sancho signs, Varane signs. Where do you personally go after that? What, in terms of who I would sign next? Yeah. Um, a difficult one. I mean, it depends on the budget. I think central midfield is probably more pressing than right back in terms of the first 11. But then it depends on, on the central midfielder you're getting. I'm not sure, there's a, not sure there's a sense of signing a central midfielder just to fill a slot. You really need to be signing someone that can, that can take one of those deep positions. I think Declan Rice would, would be... Superb signing, I thought, for an hour. He was magnificent for England on Sunday. And he's he's an, an elite-level defensive midfielder, but I think he brings so much more than that as well. We saw his, his ability to run with the ball um, in the first half against Italy. And, and time and time again, he, he carried England out of trouble. And he's done that for West Ham this season. And for a team like United, who are going to face a lot of deep defences this season. To have someone who can play defensive midfield, but break lines with a pass or with running with the ball, I, I think would be a huge attribute. So... I think he would be next on the list, but I think it's also probably unrealistic to think that United would sign Varane and Sancho for, say, 110, 120 million and then commit 80 to 100 million on, on Rice. I think that would surprise us all. Um, if that was doable, I think that would that would be where I'd go. I think it's, you know, I, th- I think they do need cover for, for Wan-Bissaka as well. They're obviously going to assess Dallow at the start of pre-season. I'm sure they'll get a couple of friendlies to, to show what he can do. But they do need cover for Wamba Sacker. He was he was relied on far too much last year. Again, I think getting a more attacking fullback in there can can help United's build up play and attack as well. So there's merits to both. 
And I think getting a, a right back to provide competition for Wambasaka will be a cheaper deal to do than signing a central midfielder who can immediately take one of those one of those deep deep slots. So I think I'd, I think I would go central midfielder if the money was available. But I think it's more likely to to probably be a right back or a player like Kamavinga who might not go straight into the first eleven, but is obviously a, a huge talent for the future. But I think you know wherever they go after that, if they sign Varane and Sancho, I think that's already a, a huge window for United. And if you look at the players they've got and the performances in Euro twenty twenty, if you're talking of you know, a, a first eleven that includes Varane, Maguire, Shaw, Fernandez, Pogba, Cavani, Sancho. Any team with those players in the league in their team should be targeting winning the league. And I think if if that's United's team next season, if those two deals are done, then there's no excuses not to be finishing within a couple of points of of winning the league at the very least. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I know we've always sort of said how, how strong it is for United to have those foundations in their squad of, of a good defence. And if you look on form as well, Sean Maguire in the form they're in, Wan-Bissaka, okay, might be limited going forward, but in defensive aspect, you know, he still is arguably the best defensive fullback in, in the Premier League. Add Varane to that mix. United arguably have not only the best defence in the Premier League, but probably in world football. And that's going to give you that solidity to, you know, to let those attacking talents be free and be unleashed. So there are the, the foundations there if they get those two deals over the line. But as Ty said, anything on top of that, it, you've got to have to be careful to get enough bang for your buck because, you know, like you say, if you want someone like Declan Rice, it's probably not going to be too affordable unless there are serious player sales. Uh, Samuel, that brings us nicely onto the players who, who could leave. Are you expecting any exits? I mean, like you said, you know, Dallow is, is back now. He's going to be evaluated. AC Milan, keen on a deal, but with Trippier nowhere near being done, you know, it makes sense to keep him at the club. Andres Pereira, he's he's back in training, but he's another player who, you know, wants that sort of clean cut for United. Jesse Lingard's still there. Who's actually going to leave the summer? Very good question. I was I was talking to a colleague last week after Mourinho's press conference in Roma when he said that they need a left back because Spinozola's injured. And I said, oh, you know, Alex Tellers is right for that, you know, season-long loan move to Roma, given that he's not got a Cat and Hell's chance of, of outing Shaw, and it seems like someone's done that line today. So, I mean, it, it is it is a very obvious story to do, and there might be there could well be something in it because I think it's it's a pretty logical one for Roma just getting a, a backup left back in on an interim basis until Spinozola comes back. And you know, Teles is a Portuguese speaker. Mourinho likes he said before he likes Brazilian players in his squad as well so United have dealt with Roma in recent years with the Smalling loan and then the permanent sale of Chris Smalling it seems like a very logical one to oversee and that's even with Brandon Williams probably going out on loan as well because if you do sign Kieran Trippier you've not just got a right back you've got someone who has played at a um He's played at a European Championship at left back as well. He can he can cover both both sides. So there there, there would be even more merit in signing Trippier if United um, are in a position where they think okay, you know what, it does make sense to to let Tellers go. And I think Tellers' shelf life at United is 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 going to be very short anyway. He strikes me as being United's equivalent of Danilo, who had what two years at Manchester City, I think it was. He, he arrived at City and you thought he had the reputation of someone who should be a starting fullback, but he was never in a position where he was starting on a regular basis. And of course, he ended up going to Juventus with Cancelo um, going in the opposite direction. Jess, Jesse Lingard 
it was, it was a bit of a strange one because there have been some rumours that he might even get a new contract, which, I mean, funnily enough, I've not written that line because I, I don't believe it myself. Uh, but he's not back at Carrington yet, which is a little bit peculiar, even though he's with the England camp towards um, just before the Euros started. You'd have thought that he might be back at Carrington pretty soon, but he's got to be sold given his contract situation. He's not been part of Solskjaer's plans for the best part of a year, really. There's no rhyme or reason to to keeping him. United just need to ensure they obtain a decent fee for him. I think Pereira is difficult to shift permanently. He's still got two years left in his contract. I think Phil Jones, again, he's someone else who's not been seen in training, which make, makes you worry for his own well-being, frankly. He's, he's not played in 18 months now. He's been injured for a year. It appears as though he's still not fit enough to be to be doing ball work, which is a concern and it must be extremely demoralising for him. And I think it's got to the point now with Jones, again, he's he's a player that United could have released two years ago, but he's still got two years left on his contract where there's got to be a decision made there that could be similar to Alexis Sanchez, where they pretty much gave him away to Inter Milan last year. With Jones, does he want to continue playing football? I think it's got to the point now where that question has to be posed, where he's he's missed a hell of a lot of football, not just in the last 18 months, but his whole career. And is is he of any merit in, in that United squad? Is he of any value? Frankly, he isn't. But it's, it is a sad set of circumstances to go that long without doing your profession, really. And I don't think any of us truly know what his mindset or his, his his well-being must be at this point but you imagine he must be feeling very low because he's still not playing football he's not not appeared in the training pitches or any of the footage which is is pretty gutting for him uh with Brandon Williams and Axel Two and ZB they're both pretty set on having loans this season but I suppose Two and ZB's situation is is a little bit complicated because you've got Bai going off to the Olympics I'm sure he'll pick up an injury at the Olympics and be sidelined for six months or so until the AFCON, then he might get another injury and be sidelined for another six months or however long. So maybe Tunzibi will be needed at the start of the season, but in those last two weeks of the window, it's an interesting period because some players will hang tight and sit tight, feeling that they could get a breakthrough in in the autumn, perhaps. It happened with Phil Jones in Mourinho's first season. He wasn't anywhere near any of the first squads, but then come November, he was a he was a first team of the United, but there'll be certain players who will be insistent on going out on loan, even though they might actually get some playing time at the start of the season. So, as I always say, there are so many nuances at play when it comes to incomings and outgoings. But players like Tunes, not players like Tunzibi and Williams, are pretty insistent on on having season long loans, even though they're two of the more experienced players who are training at Carrington at the moment. Of course, as well, Solskjaer said earlier this week, there'll be more youth departures as well. We already know that the likes of Matej Kovar and Ethan Galbraith, Dylan Levitt, are all sort of set for loan exits. Of course, there could be appetising deals as well for the likes of James Garner as well. And they should all get a chance this weekend. United kickstart the first of five pre-season fixtures when they take on Derby at Pride Park on Sunday. Expecting to see lots of changes. Solskjaer said he'll give youngsters a go. It'll be interesting to see just how many of them get on the pitch. Who starts in goal? Maybe Tom Heaton will... We'll get to where the United strip. Who knows? Maybe Lee Grant. There's so many options, so many exciting options. Uh, Ty, what are you expecting in terms of the sort of lineup this weekend? Any youngsters in particular that you'd like to see play? I guess, um, I mean, I suppose the most interesting one, if he's going to play, is, is Hannibal. Um, in terms of what, what he does in, in pre-season, it, it still feels like that sort of 
role as a Fernandez backup in this squad is available. No one's put their hand up to do it. Obviously, Matt was around for another year. Van der Beek didn't really impress in that position last year and, and can play all over midfield. So it'd be nice to see Hannibal get a bit more of a chance. Um, you know, in, in terms of established players, there's probably a few who really need to impress in, in pre-season. I mean, obviously, you talk about goalkeepers there. You'd imagine Henderson will probably get a run and he's he's obviously got first first running goal with De Gea not back yet so there's a chance for him to impress we mentioned Tellez um I mean you know he, he signed for United nine months ago and I think at that point we all probably thought it was a, a 50-50 duel maybe 60-40 in Shaw's favour but but not much between them and you know he didn't play two successive games after December last year I think and he didn't play any important games, frankly, and that's not going to change this season. The best he can do is at least impress and, and show that he can try and be some competition for, for sure. Sure, standards have risen under competition. Tellez is going to get first runner at left-back this year and he needs to, to show what he can do, really. But like Samuel says, it's hard to see how he stays beyond next summer at, at the very latest. Um, and the same with, you know, with Van der Beek. He needs to try and establish himself in, in pre-season and, and show that he's got something to offer. So I think, you know, these, these first pre-season Games are often 11 changes at half-time, so I'm sure there's a lot of youngsters who are going to get their chance. A lot of them won't be hanging around and, and will be going out on loan, but you know, if Hannibal plays, I think he's probably an interesting one in terms of what he can do. There's obviously high hopes for him at United and feels like there's a, a potential role for him there to just kind of offer some something different to, to Fernandes and some cover there for, for cup games at least and, and coming off the bench. So I think it'd be interesting to see how, how he does during the, the full run of pre-season, really. Yeah, and Samuel, of course, so much attacking talent come through the ranks at United, as there always seems to be anyway. You've got Alanga, who, of course, scored against Wolves on the final day. You've got Shaw who, you know, broke United's record for the youngest ever player to play in Europe. And you've got someone like Joe Hugel as well, who had a really good season, you know, his debut season at Man United. And you get a sense that, you know, all, all three of them as well could get a chance during pre-season. Do you think any of them would have the chance of breaking through into, into the first team, though? Uh, probably not, <laughs> as... as, as pessimistic as that sounds but pessimistic is probably the wrong word I, I just don't think it's quite the right time for them in this phase of their development I think with the attack it's an interesting dynamic because next year this time next year it's feasible that Cavani, Mata and Pogba won't long won't be at United any longer and they will need to offset some of those departures with external recruits but there are certainly options in uh, internally as well and I don't think Mejbri's been, it doesn't appear as though he's been training um, this week or last week so far, which I know he had, uh, he was on international duty with Tunisia and it seemed like those friendlies went on quite a fair way into June, surprisingly. So maybe he's got extra time off and with the isolation rules as well, it's, it's such a complex situation in terms of when players come back, but the return the returns were always going to be staggered. But I think Neil Woods told us in February, players like Shaw, Tire, Mejbury, Ilanga, they weren't ready for loans at that point. I think Ilanga definitely needs to go out on loan. I don't see any benefit to him playing under 20 foot, under 23 football anymore. Um, he came back from his injury last season, did very well. I was impressed what I saw. I was at Stansted Airport when that Wolves game was going on, but I did see his goal. And I think the commendable thing about about it was that he'd missed two pretty good chances before then, but kept going and got got a goal quite quickly after that. I think you know if if he can get a championship loan, that would that would be really good going for him, even though he's still quite young. Shortiere, I think, even though he's had a full season with the under twenty threes, given 
given his frame and this the stage of his development again and the fact that he only turned 17 in February it's still probably a little bit too early you may be looking at a, a new year loan you look at someone like even Galbraith didn't go on loan at all last season which I think surprised everyone given that He'd already played for Northern Ireland um, and, and had made his United debut in Astana. But they seem to have different different blueprints for, for each individual. So perhaps with Shorter, in the case of Shorter, because he's had so much first team um, exposure as far as training goes and travelling with the first team, they might feel it's right. But I don't think it quite is for him. And I'd also apply that with Mejbri as well. I think you know, I don't really, I don't really think it's right for him to go out on loan and the problem you have with a player like Mejbri is that he might fancy a loan abroad but do you want a player going overseas for a loan spell when you really want them to become used to um, English football and what that entails and there's probably not much benefit in in him getting kicked by under 23 players anymore and he, he seems far too good for that level anyway but can you really see him is now the right time going to a championship club I think that's that's debatable Nicky Butt told me when I think James Garner and Dylan Levitt didn't go out on loan at the start of 2020, that it wasn't the right time for them to go out on loan. And I think a lot of people would have disputed that at the time. And in Garner's case, although he might have you know, been a bit impatient and that impatience would have been aggravated by the pandemic because obviously the next season was slightly delayed and those those players missed out on a lot more football. When he did go out on loan, he did pretty well with Watford and Nottingham Forest. The fact he went to Forest, that wasn't a reflection on him. It was the fact that Watford had changed coaches. But then with Dylan Levitt, you know, he's he's had a pretty variable time of it in that he's had some forgettable loans with Charlton and the Croatian club, whose name I forget, yet he's still... NK Istra. There we go. I, I knew you would know, Rich. I absolutely knew <laughs> yeah. you would know. Uh, but he still got in the Wales squad for, for the Euros. So it's it's strange how it... Um, you know, varies from player to player, but I, I still think with those players who've been trained with first team, that I mean, United have been pretty open about it. The majority of them will go out on loan. They do need to go out on loan as well. Yeah, of course, most of them are only sort of sticking around at the moment because you have got so many senior players not not involved in, yes. in training, so it's to bulk up the squad. That's why Chong and Bishop are still still training at United despite having agreed exits anyway, so they will join up with their respective clubs ahead of the new season. But like we said, United versus Derby on Sunday, the first of five pre-season fixtures, and we'll bring you coverage for more of them on the Manchester Even News, so please do stick with us for all the build-up to that and all the live coverage on Sunday. Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. Thank you. And once again, just before we go, a reminder that we are releasing our own special annual looking ahead to the new season. Our United writers have teamed up to produce a comprehensive guide to the new campaign. Fans can order these one-off titles in print to arrive at their doorstep before the campaign kicks off with all the details of the new season, new signings, and how their club has been preparing to go after glory again. A reminder there will be a link in the podcast description below and if you're watching this on social media i'm sure we can post a link as well in the replies for you to click on to and to get one of these annuals all you have to do is complete your details in the form sign up to our free daily man united newsletter and confirm that you want to copy the guide sent to your home it will only cost you one pound 25 to cover postage and packaging thank you very much for listening to this episode of the manchester Road podcast as always please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already and we'll see you again next time